This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey Gumshoes, welcome to episode number 6 of Detect This here on Film Geek Radio. This is our podcast devoted exclusively to the HBO series True Detective. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined by my fellow detective, Charlie Nash. Hey, Andrew. How many times do you think we've had this conversation, Charlie? Twice? Ten times? A million times? I don't know, Andrew. I mean, uh, life is basically a flat circle, right? Yes. We're trapped. We're just stuck in this loop, Andrew. I think that we've had this conversation too many times for either of us to count. (laughs) <laughs> oh, welcome to Detect This. As always, you can email the show at detectthis at filmgeekradio.com or leave us a voicemail by calling 336-793-2509. Uh, as always, I have to start off by apologizing because uh, we've been late. <laughs> we are trying, folks. We are still here. We're not going anywhere. It just takes us a while to edit the program. I'd tell you we're going to get better, but as you've seen by now, we can't guarantee it. So, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to make promises we might not be able to keep. Honestly, Andrew, most of it's my fault since I'm new to this whole process, so don't beat yourself up too much because, listeners, if you should go after anyone, it's probably me since I'm new to this. And plus, Andrew just got a new teaching job, and I should probably pick up the pace in terms of learning how to edit these things by now, so I apologize. I'm a bit OCD about how many ums, likes, and you knows I use, so if you haven't heard me say a lot of them, that's because I've been OCD. Uh, I've been obsessively editing them out, and I will learn not to do that as much. That's CTNash91 on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I might edit that out. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, all I can do is is tell you guys that uh, we're we're doing our best, so bear with us. The episodes are coming. They are. It just just takes us a while, and in the meantime, we really appreciate all the emails that you're sending and all the, the feedback we're getting on Twitter. We do read it all. So thank you for that. And uh, speaking of that, before we get started, I want to induct a few more honorary members onto the Detect This team. All you have to do to become an honorary member is leave us a positive iTunes review. And I'm going to go through these really, really quick. Floyd Ang says, excellent. A great down-to-earth discussion on a fantastic program. Really enjoy the theories and insights from two great TV show podcasters. Thank you, Floyd Ang. Thank you very much to be even called a TV podcaster. Like, I don't like to label myself as that, but it feels good that we've gotten to that point, Andrew. Put it on the business card, Charlie. I'm working on it right now. (laughs) Tebosin71 says, great in-depth conversation. It's always nice when you can listen to a podcast and not hear 20 minutes of commercials. The two hosts play off each other well and have some pretty smart things to say. It's always nice when you hear different takes and theories that actually make sense. This podcast is a must for anyone watching True Detective. Thanks, Tebosin71. Yes, thank you so much. That was a quite quite a generous and detailed review, and I really appreciate all of those adjectives that you have applied to us. Yes, and on a related note, if anyone would like to, pl- to pay us to p- play 20 minutes of commercials to advertise... <laughs> no, no, Andrew, we'll lose <laughs> listeners that way. They just thanked us for that. Don't... Okay, okay, 10 minutes of ads max. We promise. We promise. Just if we're going to sell out... 
Yeah, we won't sell out all the way. <laughs> just a little bit. Just 10 minutes that you can also uh, skip because this is a podcast, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Yeah, we'll put in the show notes where the time codes for the ad so you can just skip them. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Seamus Jameson says, very good podcast. The After Buzz one isn't bad. It has good production value, but they review it immediately after a screening, which for a show like this is a, dis- is a disservice. This cast is much better thought out, and this show takes multiple viewings to catch about 25% of what is going on. Small side plug, check out the article's in the Wall Street Journal about the Legati influence if you want some depth into coal. If a fan, this is a highly suggested listen. Thanks, Seamus. Yes, thank you so much, Seamus. Yes, and uh, I like how Seamus is being very diplomatic and he acknowledges that the After Buzz one is not a bad podcast. They have good production values. I like how he, he kind of defends the fact that we're late Charlie by saying, well, you know, it's such a thoughtful show. You can't just turn out the reviews and discussions <laughs> right away. You got to think about it. You got to process it. Yes, I very much appreciate that, too, because I, especially for this episode we're about to review now, I've had to watch every episode at least twice. Usually I watch it through once and then I take notes on it the second time because I notice even more. And then even by the second time I've watched it, I feel like I should almost watch it again. But I, most of the time I don't have it time to watch it three times but at the same time thank you for understanding that this is not an easy show for everyone to digest especially for OCD people like me so yes yes and, and the reason the episodes are late is because we're uh, we're thinking about it thinking right? about it Charlie? all the time all the time all yes. the time I, I I've lost I, I can't sleep because of the show <laughs> Andrew no honestly I shouldn't say that because there are images that haunt my dreams so maybe that's not even funny <laughs> Grindham says, worth a listen. I stumbled upon this podcast last night and listened to all four episodes currently available. I was pleasantly surprised by the depth of the discussion and will be tuning in to supplement my understanding as the season progresses. Simply a great podcast for any true detective fan looking for more analysis. Thanks, Grindham. Thanks, Grindham. Andrew, people are so nice to us. I don't get it, Charlie. You'd think that fans of True Detective would be like the most pessimistic fans. They'd be, they'd just be complete nihilists and like, well, the podcast is pretty good, but nothing matters anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the, the entire concept of having a podcast is entirely contradictory to the purpose of the show. Yes. <laughs> oh, Grace1991 says, engaging and entertaining. Keep up the good work, guys. And Alphabet Pizza says, awesome. Loving this podcast so far. Keep it up, dudes. Thank you, Grace1991 and Alphabet Pizza. Yes, thank you guys so much. Um, alphabet pizza. I want an, what, what's an alphabet pizza? I want one, whatever. I want one too. Is that like when there, you just get a pizza delivered and it has like pizza slices in all shapes of the uh, alphabet? Maybe it's like you have one topping that begins with every letter, letter of the alphabet. I don't know. Q would be kind of difficult with, I don't know, depending on the topping. But anyway. I don't know. <laughs> Quaaludes on your pizza? Maybe? <laughs> Just when I thought it wasn't possible for us to make any more Quaalude jokes, <laughs> you managed to. I just slipped in that opportunity by accident. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for for all your support, everybody. Um, you know, I, I think Charlie, what we're gonna do, what we're gonna have to do, because we have so many new honorary members, we're just gonna each week we're just gonna have to find a group role for them to to fill. Mm-hmm. So for this week. To, to everyone who, who left us reviews, I think we're going to make you honorary school janitors. 
because... Oh my god, Andrew. They deserve so much more than a school janitor. And I apologize to any school janitor listening to this podcast, but you probably know that you deserve better, too. <laughs> so They do. They do. As someone who works at a high school, yes, you deserve a lot more. Yes. But, but no, Charlie, because that school that Matthew McConaughey visits at the end of this episode is a wreck, desperately in need of cleaning. And, you know, if it was better maintained... Maybe he could do a better job of discovering some clues and putting them all together. You never know. Uh, yeah, but that that place is uh, it needs cleaning is kind of a that's kind of an understatement, and it's getting it does it needs cleaning to the point where it's getting kind of creepy, Andrew. And I feel like a high school janitor <laughs> doesn't get paid enough to risk their lives uh, in a crime scene, a potential uh, crime scene that could still be uh, dangerous. So. <laughs> no, but the team of detect this honorary maintenance people, <laughs> they get paid enough, maybe. <laughs> in my they paid enough by giving us five-star reviews, and we have yes. given them back. <laughs> Thank yous. <laughs> and now we're asking you, all of you, to give us... I, uh, anyone who gives us a five-star review also has the honor of going into this uh, scary-ass school that is probably a crime scene, and possibly <laughs> one that is still... Uh, in motion in the podcast we're reviewing. Well, thanks, everyone. Um, and, and just as a side note, Charlie, you pointed out to me before we started recording that actually there was a thread on Reddit asking people what the best True Detective podcast was, and a lot of people actually voted for us, and, and we got upvoted close to the top. So thank you for, for all the support. We really appreciate it. Yeah, seriously, thank you so much. I tried to be on Reddit for a little while, and I do find it fun, but I don't use it as much as I did originally. And uh, this is the highest I've been voted up on Reddit in at least two years. So thank you. <laughs> See, Charlie, we're the best True Detective podcast. There's only like four True Detective podcasts. Our next goal should be to be the best Game of Thrones podcast, because there's like a hundred. Anyway, thank you for the support, everyone. We really appreciate it. Moving on, um, we've got some voicemails and in, in, in some emails to discuss, but first, let's go ahead and talk about this week's episode, Charlie. The episode is titled The Secret Fate of All Life, and it was written by Nick Pizzolatto and directed by Kerry Fukunaga. Why don't you go ahead and remind our listeners what happened? Cole and Hart capture Reggie Ledeau, but Hart kills him after discovering the bodies of two children on the property. Life goes well for both of them for a few years, but in 2002, a suspect Cole's interrogating claims that Ledeau was not the killer. Meanwhile, Hart's oldest daughter is becoming sexually adventurous, and in 2012, it's revealed Cole is the prime suspect for a new murder. Dum-dum-dum! Holy shit. Oh, okay. Well, Charlie, just to, just to kick things off, what were your overall thoughts on this week's episode of True Detective? Well, let me start off by saying that based off of the climactic sequence of last week's episode, I thought that it was going to spoil me in terms of how I would appreciate this week's episode. And while I still think that the climactic raid that's gone wrong is the best sequence of the series so far, I'd say that as an episode as a whole, this episode completely knocked last week out of the park. And I loved last week's episode too, but this episode took some really ambitious risks that could have made the show suffer greatly in quality if they were not executed properly, and instead pulled off just about every single one of them, including uh, Jumps in Time and certain characters that we've been building up to and what they end up uh, serving in terms of the themes of the show. A lot of major plot developments, a lot of perspectives that we're not sure which to believe. The detectives question the 
viewpoints of both Hart and Cole and questions whether or not either of them is telling the truth because, you know, Cole is the main suspect, but it looks like Hart bent the truth about some details, to put it mildly, and... Well, well, they both bent the truth. Yeah, oh, both of them did. They, oh, no, they both they of them... bent the truth. They outright lie. Oh, no, they... Yeah, they outright lie. Bending the truth is too, too kind. Uh, both of them did, and it now looks like... You know, from what they've set it up as, I'm not saying that I completely think that this is uh, exactly what happened yet, but looks like Marty is covering Russ for something, and we don't necessarily know what, and now the cops think that, based on photographic evidence, that Cole is possibly the killer that they never caught. Right. Now, getting back to this whole idea of, of them not telling the truth, Charlie, that's something that they have touched on in previous episodes. In last week's episode, I mean, they went undercover with this biker gang, and it was off the books, and they lied about it to their superiors then, and they lied about it during the interview in 2012. Mm -hmm. And they continue that lie in this episode when, when... And they continue that in this episode when Cole tells them that... They got the information on, on where to find Reggie Ledoux from an old CI mm -hmm. pal of his, which is a lie. That's, that's not how it went down. But then the lie grows even bigger when Hart kills Ledoux. Yeah. And they have to cover... They have to cover that up. That, to me, is really interesting because now they're outright lying. And so now I'm wondering, okay... Is there anything in the previous episodes that maybe they were lying about that we didn't realize? Yeah. And I'm going to go out on a limb, Charlie, and say no. You don't think that the detectives would have... You think that these detectives are smart characters to the point where they call out their bullshit, they know they're doing their job, not to mention that even before they call them out, you see both... The show is edited in such a way where you see both Marty and Cole telling basically a similar lie while it's cutting back and forth between footage of 2012 and 1995. Right, and here's the thing, Charlie. Just in terms of the creators of the show and how they're editing the show together, mm -hmm. I have to believe that they are revealing the truth. Mm -hmm. I have to believe that what we see on screen presented as a flashback is what actually happened. Otherwise, we get into a situation where, as you talked about a little bit uh, last week, Charlie, where there will suddenly be a twist and we realize that the creators of the show have been lying to us. Yeah. And there's a difference between having a twist and having a show just say, well, no, we just weren't showing you reality. Yeah. We were just making you, you think that we were. And, and, and that's not fair. That's, that's a big cheat. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, if the, uh, and if the show does that, I'm going to be really, really upset. But I have no reason to think that they're going to do that. I have no reason to think they're going to do that either because this show has done things that I have complained about, I feel like, in episodes of this show that I had complained, uh, I revealed that um, I had a lot of complaints with the killing and how I think I even said this in a uh, either last episode or two episodes before where halfway through a show, I hate that when a mystery 
leads you down a certain path when it's not even close to the final episode because you think it could be most likely a red herring. The Killing did this really stupid thing in the first season where four episodes in, they're like, was it Rosie's teacher? And I'm like, no, we're episode four of 12. I don't, you're not convincing me. And yet we're in episode five of eight. And I'm not 100% sure that Cole is the killer. I think they might be trying to lead us astray here, but they have done such a better job of convincing me that it is a very big possibility where I'm like 60, 40, 70, 30 on the possibility of that. Whereas when I was watching The Killing and they were doing certain uh, twists or leading you in certain directions in terms of its plot that are similar to the way True Detective is leading its viewers, it was just done so heavy-handedly and not with any of the detailed clues that True Detective is um, supplying with us. Also, with um, it doesn't have that you rewatch the episode and after you know the end of the episode, you can go back and discover more things you might have missed. I never got that from The Killing as I get here because I watched this episode twice and knowing that Cole is the primary suspect and rewatching it gave me a lot of interesting perspectives on scenes that I didn't have before. So I want to touch on this idea of Cole being the killer in, in a little bit, Charlie. That's an idea that we have brought up in passing mm-hmm. uh, in, in previous weeks, that idea of, well, hey, why are they interviewing Cole? Maybe he's a suspect. Um, so I, w- I want to touch on that in a little bit. But the in terms of that idea of the information they're revealing and whether or not we can trust, if not the characters and and Cole and Hart who are narrating it, then can we at least trust the showrunners and what they are putting on screen? Just to just to give you an example of what I'm talking about, Charlie. There, there, there was a brief period in this episode, and and we've discussed in previous weeks the idea of okay. If one of these protagonists is the killer, who is it? And I think, Charlie, especially after last week, we both came away feeling like, well, no, neither of them is in all likelihood the killer. Mm -hmm. But if we had to pick one, it'd probably be Hart. Yeah, and now they've completely reversed that for me, (laughs) at least. Well, Well, see, here's the thing. I still think after this episode, if either of them is the killer, it's Hart, because he's the one that shoots Reggie. He's the one that shoots their most promising lead, which, you know, would be a good way to cover it. That's track. true, and yet at the same time, he shoots Reggie after he goes into the room where the kids are, and we don't know. Exactly. But we also exactly. we also don't know um, what's in that room until we see it a second time, or at least if you rewind it, which I found to be kind of interesting, and I can see Hart doing that well see that's the thing charlie they show him in the house looking around opening the gate and this look of surprise on his face this look of shock now if he was the killer or somehow involved he probably wouldn't have known about this and i doubt he would be that surprised so by the the filmmakers Showing us that expression on his face, they are saying to us, he is shocked. He was surprised by this. If they come back in episode eight and say, oh, no, he was the killer after all, I'm going to be upset. And I'm going to say, no, you gave us evidence. You presented evidence that that we we were supposed to take as reality. Mm -hmm. You cannot just go back on that. 
Yeah, I don't think Hart is the killer because I think if he was, he's playing dumb. And if he's playing dumb, I don't like he's just doing a great job of it, I guess, because uh, I think that he's far too clumsy and reckless and messy to pull something like this off. But from the way that Cole's acting, if he did turn out to be the killer, I feel like that would make the most logical sense based on his IQ. Unless, of course, Hart is just playing stupid, in which he's always played stupid and he's just been putting on a performance his whole life, but I doubt that's going to happen. Well, Charlie, you mentioned that you've watched the episode multiple times. I unfortunately only had time to see the episode once. Uh So you'll have to remind me, when we have the shot of the little girl Uh that Hart sees in that room, because there is a quick shot of the little girl looking back at him, Mm -hmm. does that occur while Hart in 2012 is describing what happened as in it's his tale of what happened or is that just presented kind of straight in between the narration as this is a flashback oh shoot i wish i remembered because it that it goes back and forth between so many characters during that sequence that i can't remember if that shot comes up while hart is delivering that information to the detectives okay then it could be a lie and then if the filmmakers want to come back and say, oh, he is the killer and he was lying, it will make sense. Yeah. But if that's not the case, the very fact that they just showed us that shot of him looking surprised and seeing the little girl, I have to take that as fact, which would suggest that he is not the killer. Yeah, but at the same time, maybe he could have shot Reggie and then Matthew McConaughey is the killer or Cole is the killer. And maybe because Reggie got shot, that would lead him back to that would lead everyone back to marty and then that would lead everything back to him which he could be working on i don't know um yeah i'm gonna have to go back when when we're done recording i'm gonna go back and rewatch that scene of heart discovering the kids and and pay i'm gonna pay closer attention to how they edit that because that would be a big indicator of whether or not he is potentially involved I really do not think he is, though. I, uh, I really there, don't. Honestly, upon second viewing, there were a lot of sequences where it made sense if the, to set Cole up uh, as the killer. Uh, because when he goes to talk to the guy who he eventually shoots uh, during the raid gone bad, bad in this episode, um, the arrest of Reggie, I should just say, not the raid, because that'll confuse people. But, you know, he meets up with the guy at a diner where basically... He's, I want to sell you uh, Coke for Crystal, and you just have to be making a little more to get more of a profit. And he says, why am I not talking to Miles, someone we don't know? And uh, basically, the guy says, I don't want to tell you. I, You got a shadow over you, son. I don't like the way your face looks. It makes me want to do bad things to it. And really eerie things that I didn't notice were, it could obviously still support the fact that he suspects that he's a cop and doesn't want to say that to him in such a clear way and, you know, not so much lie as drop subtle hints to not make it seem like he's being all that manipulative. But at the same time, it also gave evidence to, you know, maybe this guy knows him from something else that we haven't been aware of that's been in his past. I mean, Cole's also the guy who flips out at the guy in jail after he can manipulates him into confessing to shooting Uh, someone at a pharmacy because he states he wants forgiveness and Cole basically manipulates see you just admitted to double homicide and then he says I know about you I know about the person that you found in the yard and I know about the yellow king and then Cole just loses it and starts slapping him and then goes from slapping him in the face to grabbing him around the throat 
and right. he yells the yellow king and then he says yeah deal with me you son of a bitch and that just made me think like actually going back in time supports the theory that they're trying to present with to us but i found that to be interesting because i feel like they weren't trying to so much it felt like a twist when they let us down that direction the first time we watched it at least for me and my friends who were watching it uh, all together and it was interesting to me where it seems like it could have been that like if it was handled in a very blunt way that they could have set it up as this is the whole twist the entire time. And how can you not see that Cole's the killer for the entire episode? But instead they laid the, these little subtle hints like breadcrumbs and then somehow surprised me. I don't know how you reacted, but when it kind of surprised me that they went down that route the first time I watched it. I got to be honest with you, Charlie, when it comes to this idea of Cole being the killer, I don't buy it at all. I, I really don't. I, I'm not saying I buy it. I'm just saying that there's more evidence. And I feel like, you know, for all I know, I could be eating my words. And maybe next week they'll, like, lay out this huge trail about how Hart could be the killer. I'm sure they're capable of doing that in a credible way. So, Well, well, well here's the thing. I think that they are, you know, they, they, they're providing enough evidence that within the show it would make sense for certain for for these detectives to look at the evidence and go oh hey maybe Cole's the killer mm-hmm. but at the same time with the way they've structured the series going back and forth between timelines and the way they've presented Cole leading up to this point i feel like as an audience we are supposed to come away thinking no this is a red herring and, and that's the main difference between this show and something like The Killing, mm-hmm. Charlie, uh, since, since you brought that up. And The Killing, yes, like a lot of crime shows, you know, it goes off on these little tangents like, oh, maybe this is the killer. And oh, maybe this is the killer. And as a viewer, you're sitting at home thinking, well, no, that can't be the killer because it's not the end of the season yet. But within the show, it's treated seriously, mm-hmm. which is a problem because at the audience – as a viewer, you're sitting at home going, why are you taking this seriously? The difference, though, is that with True Detective, the show is aware of that. The show mm-hmm. is aware that as an audience, we're sitting at home going, no, 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 that's that can't be true. Cole can't be the murderer. And I think the show wants us to believe that. And I think the show is consciously making us feel like he's not the murderer because it is going to be revealed that so it's a red herring. Yeah. It's not it's not trying to hide the fact that it's a red herring is what I'm trying yeah, to say. Yeah, exactly. It's a red herring that works for me where, you know, we talked me and my friends talked about it afterwards and we said it's probably not him, but as a piece of television that is used to persuade us down that direction, it was really effective, especially compared to a lot of red herrings and several other, not just television shows, but movies. I've seen some really terrible red herrings in a lot of thrillers over the past few years. And, you know, I'm kind of admitting, you know, I don't think this is true, but this is enough evidence to back up that it could be. And maybe I'm just being paranoid because it's the fifth episode out of the eighth episode series but charlie i really don't think there's enough evidence there that it could be i think there's i think there's evidence for the characters in the show as these events are happening to believe okay i think for us as a viewer there's no evidence oh okay yeah and and actually now that you got me thinking about this charlie i'm gonna i'm gonna get a little bit deep on you here charlie all right this because this thought just popped into my head okay this whole episode is about time and what exists outside linear time 
and how it's a circle and outside, you know, in eternity, looking at time, everything is flat. Mm -hmm. Charlie, as the audience, we are outside of the television. We are outside in eternity watching the story. We are flipping back and forth between timelines, okay? Yeah. So as the audience, we can see the whole story, the whole circle, and as a result, I think we understand that Cole is not the killer. Do you think it's almost breaking the fourth wall in terms of, like, you've seen this story before. Remember Red Herrings? Yeah, you'll go through that again, too. <laughs> like, in that way? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that as the audience, as the audience, we are in eternity, so to speak, when it comes to, to, to this show. We are seeing both timelines, past, present, and future, to a certain extent. And as a result, we have way more knowledge than the characters in the show as things are playing out. So even though the detectives that are interviewing Cole are thinking, oh yeah, Cole's a prime suspect, I think we as the audience are meant to be sitting outside of this timeline going, no, 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 that doesn't add up. Yes, and at the same time, I think it's doing a good job of doing both, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Because there are a lot of contradictions that we can all make about all the characters, but that's what I kind of love about mysteries, is if they do it right and they can prove that our assumptions on what was going on are incorrect and they can back that up, that can be amazing. I'm just saying, uh, you know, I don't think that Cole's the killer, I really don't, but I'm just saying that for the hour in which I watched it, it did a good job. And, but at the same time, now that I'm thinking about it, you know, once the episode was over and I talked about it with both you and my friends that I watched it with, I agree with you that I think that the episode kind of could be doing the opposite. I'm not sure. Uh, but at the same time, it was engrossing all the same. It was never, I never felt at a distance from these characters because I felt like maybe that's why I felt that I was a willing to go along with the red herring and say, this could be bullshit, but I could totally buy it is because I just felt so immersed in uh, so many events that happen in this episode because it basically is a major plot point episode because it skims through time, but in a very effective way where it doesn't feel cheap either. Well, right, right. And that's what I'm saying, Charlie. I think it's a super well-written episode because I can totally understand why, based on the evidence and what's happening, the characters in the show might think Cole is the killer. But it is edited in such a way, again, because of that whole timeline thing, that I don't think we as the audience are supposed to come away believing that. I mean, like, honestly, throughout this episode, I never once felt like Cole was guilty. Even though I remember back when we first saw the first episode of the show, <laughs> that, was our, that was our theory. Our theory was, hey, maybe Cole's the killer. I really don't think that's the case, Charlie. Cole is not acting like a killer. He's acting like someone who is just obsessed with with solving the case. the case. Yeah. And that, you know, you, you have that big reveal that they're actually kind of thinking he might be the killer, but that's not how the episode ends. The episode ends with another flashback of him going to the school and finding the, the room full of devil traps, cluing us in Charlie that Cole is still on the case. Mm hmm. Because that school was where they were at when they first got the call saying, hey, it's Reggie Ledeau. He's the key. Yeah. And they, they left the school. So Reggie Ledeau is dead. They thought they solved the case, but now, 
who knows? Maybe they didn't. So Cole picks up where they left off by going back to the school. Yeah, he's the Jake Gyllenhaal character in Zodiac, in other words. I'm sorry if people right. don't get that reference, but yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal obsesses over the Zodiac killer in similar ways, and he's never made out to be the killer in that film. But he is very obsessive over the case in ways that Cole is, where he's, you know, studying the artifacts and you know, looking at newspapers and whatnot, so. And so, you know, Charlie, the, the other characters in the show, they don't see Cole return to the school. They don't see everything that he's doing, going back to the tree and seeing the uh, the, 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 the icon uh-huh. and the little sculpture that was left there. But we as the audience, we see that. The, the, yeah. the showrunners allow us to exist outside the timeline of the show and to see all of this. And as a result, I feel like they're they're letting us know, hey, Cole's not the killer. They think he is, but we're going to clue you in. He's not. Who took those pictures of Cole at all those crime scenes? Did a cop do it? Did somebody else do it? Or did they use Photoshop, Andrew, because it's 2012? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. That's a good question. (laughs) That would be, like, really sad if it turned into a product placement for Photoshop, like, halfway through. (laughs) Like, (laughs) yes, the magic of Photoshop. (laughs) But, but, so, yeah, Charlie, I, I just, I really do not think Cole is the killer. Just nothing in his behavior suggests that he is the killer. Um, and actually, did you did you watch the behind the scenes clip on the HBO site? I honestly, part of me really wants to, and part of me is worried that I'm going to get stuff spoiled because HBO hasn't been great with promos in the past. So, what was it about this episode or the next episode? Because I thought it was about the, about this episode. Oh, I thought it was about next week's episode. Okay, I'll just edit that out. No, I did not. Um, well, they have some interesting things in their kind of inside the episode behind the scenes clips. And one of the things that Nick Pizzolatto pointed out that I hadn't even thought of is that, okay, for the for, for this first five episodes now, we've been watching these interviews occur. We've been watching Cole basically just get drunk and, tell, and say what happened. And Nick Pizzolatto in this behind-the-scenes segment pointed out that Cole isn't just getting drunk because he's a functioning alcoholic. He's drinking because everything he says while drinking is inadmissible. That's actually a good point. So he went in there from the very beginning just trying to figure out what do they know, what's in the file. I think that Cole is still on the case all these years later. I think he wants to solve this murder and he just goes in and agrees to be interrogated because he's like, oh, hey, maybe there was a new murder. Maybe they know something I don't that could help me. Maybe it's one of the cops. May- I don't know. We'll see. And then he gets all upset. Like, really? This is the file? This is all there is? Yeah. Really? Yeah, he's, like, <laughs> expecting so much more. <laughs> yes. Like, great. Thanks a lot. This doesn't help me at all. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, he's just like, I thought that it would be so obvious to you that I could be a, sub- a suspect, and then your evidence helps me solve the case, you assholes. Yeah, that would have been great. Um, yeah, I, I honestly think that he went, he, he knows what's up. He he, he kind of laughs, but he sort of understands that they would think he's a suspect. And this whole time, he's been aware that that's, that could happen because he's been drinking. So they can't, 
they can't and nothing he says is admissible so. <laughs> that's a really good point i know ne- i did not watch it with that perspective but that is an awesome theory and uh totally want to go back and see if it holds up now with that possibility uh in perspective um no i i agree with you um i don't think that it honestly i don't think it's any of these people maybe it's someone we haven't met yet i don't know well, we got some interesting theories and in some of the feedback, Charlie, and we'll, we'll be covering that in a little bit. But we got some smart listeners out there, Charlie, who are starting to put the pieces together and, and come up with some compelling ideas. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, then the next thing I want to talk about, Charlie, is everything with Hart's daughter. What did you make of that? Um, stuff we've seen before, but powerfully acted. It continued his daughter's plot line in term and developed her character in ways that we had seen foreshadowed into uh, in 1995. So I found that to be appropriate. Um, another thing that I found to be kind of upsetting is as a possibility is that Hart apologizes for the way that he did not pay attention to his family and says, I lacked focus and, you know, I did not give them enough attention and I'm aware of that now and I, that's my biggest flaw. And it cuts away after, the do- after he calls the daughter the captain of the varsity slut team and she says, fuck you, and then he slaps her in the face. She runs in her room and then Hart is clearly upset but not moving from the kitchen and Maggie runs to the door with her ear against it saying, it's just me, honey, open up the door. And we don't see what happens after that, but there was a tone... That Hart could be, you know, I got a certain tone from Hart that he could be talking about her as if she committed suicide, or at least that's what it led me to believe in the moments that I was watching it, particularly during the first time I sat through it. I I don't think so. I don't think she killed herself. There are many scenes in this episode where Hart states that he, he talks about his daughters in a way that makes it sound as if they've passed away or had been you know, as if they've died. And there's one where there's the kite in the tree, and there's another when, you know, they just cut away from from Maggie at the door, and they kept teasing us as if something bad was going to happen to her. I mean, didn't you get that vibe at least, that something bad is going to happen to his daughter, or clearly his daughter is not happy and it's building up to something kind of tragic? Because that's the vibe I got. I did get that vibe, at the same time, though, I feel like if she just ran into her room and killed herself right away, number one, that would be unrealistic because I think they would have discovered that in time to save her. <laughs> I mean, it skipped forward in time, so we haven't seen what could have happened beforehand. That could have been like the 50th time. I'm not saying that would have been realistic either, but... Well, well, that's the thing, Charlie. They don't. They didn't show what happened. I feel like if she had just run into her room and killed herself, that's a big enough event. They need to show that, and I think they would have shown that. If that's what happened. Yeah. So while I, d- I did get that vibe that maybe something tragic was going to happen, the fact that they didn't show it makes me think, well, maybe something tragic happened later. But Yeah, well, that's another possibility that I was going to bring up is maybe that it happens later on and they're just setting the t- tone for us. And it's a tone that is very uncomfortable to sit through, even if we find out that she's alive in the next scene. It's basically the next scene after that is even worse. <laughs> so maybe. Yeah. Well, okay, Charlie, there's a, there's another thing I want to touch on. We got a few emails from people, and we're going to go over this later, but people seem to be wanting our take on why Hart's daughter, and I'm sorry because I, I can't remember her name. Is it Audrey? Audrey, yes. Is, is that, which daughter is that? Is that That's the older the one. Daughter? That's the older okay. one. People are 
wanted to get our take on why Audrey is acting weird. (laughs) (laughs) My question for you, Charlie, is, is she acting weird or is she just being a teenager? Because, Um, yeah, she's she's being rebellious. She's got the hair. Yeah, it's kind of weird that she was with two guys instead of one. But is it that? Weird. I think that. Yeah. I think that she was weirder, honestly, as uh, an eight-year-old drawing pictures of yeah. sex and playing with naked Barbie dolls. Because you know, I I went to high school not so long ago. I went from two thousand five to two thousand nine. So I went to high school with a lot of people who dressed in gothic outfits and were wore black lipstick and eyeliner and dyed their hair dark colors and wore band t-shirts for brand new and My Chemical Romance, which are, you know, bands I listened to in high school too. So like maybe that was just, I don't think that it's that weird. I think that, you know, uh, Marty was just upset that she was dressing that way because he didn't understand her style. And at one point she even says, well, it's not meant, I'm not wearing it so you can understand it, dad, or something along those lines. Like, you don't have to understand me, dad. I understand myself. And why do you feel the need to control me like you do with every other woman on this show? Right. I mean, we've seen this plotline before. Oh, the rebellious teenage daughter who's sexually active and her parents don't want her to be sexually active. I mean, yeah, Winona Ryder and Beetlejuice for, that was like, what, 30 years ago, something like that, 25 years ago? Right. Yeah. Right, and I mean, okay, yes, she is kind of young to be having a threesome, but on the other hand, is the fact that she's doing that, is that related to some traumatic event in her childhood? Is that related to to, to something significant, or is she just a little bit more sexual and experimental than, than, than other girls. I just think she's a little more sexual and experimental compared to other girls, not to mention, you know, like, I just think that that's another great thing to uh, develop her as considering what we've seen Marty react to in terms of, like, Marty's been in strip clubs where, you know, people are topless and he doesn't care, but if it's his daughter and she's acting sexual, that bothers him. And I don't think she is acting that weird. I think that she looked no like she looked like Shirley Manson from the band Garbage that was big in the '90s, which is something I thought that was kind of funny because they were just at the their peak around to like 1999 to 2002. But um, right, like 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 I got the vibe that she was just being a teenager. Yeah. on the whole, I mean, yeah, it is kind of strange that it would be a threesome because she seems kind of young for that. But on the other hand, I mean, I, I, you know, it, it fits the M.O. of just a teenager who's experimenting. Yeah, I mean, let's face it, Andrew, in high school, I heard, you know, very stupid, probably untrue, but possibly true rumors where teenage about teenagers who were sexually active, uh, especially uh, women who were sexually active, always got more gossip about that sort of stuff than men did, because if men have a threesome, uh, and they tell a bunch of men, then it's awesome. But if a woman has a threesome with two men and tells her girlfriend she's considered a slut, much like the, right. you know, the captain slut, uh, the captain of the varsity slut team, as, you know, Marty says, because I'm sure if Marty had a threesome with two women, he would probably be really proud of himself, you know, especially if it was before he got caught, you know, cheating with Maggie or whatever. Right, or before right. He met it's a double standard. Yeah, exactly. And I know that threesomes happen in high school and, you know, and yeah, that's uncomfortable to deal with. But, 
you know, it happens, Andrew. I'm sure it happens all the time. So I just think that she's being a little more adventurous. And I don't think there's anything to be scorned over about that. I think that it's dangerous if they're not being safe. But, you know, at least she was out about it and said, no, I was in control. Don't, you know, charge them for statutory rape. It was my fault. I was just being experimental, basically. Right. So people are writing in and being like, hey, why is Hart's daughter acting weird? What's it mean? Was she molested as a child or something? And I'm like, uh, I'm not sure I'm getting that from her actions. I don't think that she was molested at all, but I think that she was exposed to sex at a younger age, basically because maybe because Marty was talking about it at the dinner table and thinking that she couldn't understand certain words or I don't know. But, you know, like she'd shown signs of early... They've developed her character where they've shown us images and scenes of her character developing an early knowledge for sex. Right. She's clearly fixated on it for some reason. Exactly. Yeah. And there was the argument between Maggie and Hart two episodes ago about how girls learn before boys and how it's a really early age to learn. And I think that they're setting that up. And I think the threesome makes sense because they've set that up. You know, if they showed her as a kid not doing any of this stuff, maybe it would be a little contrived. But the fact that they've set up all this stuff with the pictures and the dolls makes it credible for me. And even if, you know, they didn't set that up, it might have been a little contrived. But let's face it, you know, people are sexual in high school. That's when people become first sexually active most of the time. So. All right. Well, moving on, Charlie, the last thing I want to talk about before we get to feedback. One of the main ideas in this episode is that question of change Mm -hmm. and whether people truly change. And that's been the theme of so many TV shows about anti-heroes from The Sopranos yep. to Breaking Bad, you name it. Mad Men, yeah. Yeah, Mad Men. Can people really change or are they just who they are no matter what? And this episode would seem to suggest that no people do not change because you've got Woody Harrelson's character Marty admitting hey things were good for a while but maybe deep down I really didn't change you've got Matthew McConaughey saying that we live our lives the same way over and over and there's you you can't escape it you can't change it we've got the detective saying well hey maybe Cole did change maybe he is the killer but deep down i think we all know that he's not mm-hmm. so the i i'm getting the impression from the show charlie that it's taking the stance that people do not change they are who they are honestly i don't know because to be honest i don't know this is a question that i uh this is something that i question in my actual life in terms of my relationships with people, whether it be actual relationships, friendships, whatever, is I sometimes, you know, sometimes I contemplate this. If people really change, do I really change? Uh, does someone that's hurt me in the past, does that person really change? Have they learned from their mistakes? Because I'd like to believe that people change. Otherwise, what's the point of living if you can't learn from your mistakes? But at the same time, there is a certain personality that someone has that some people feel like never changes. So, It's something that I question in my own life as much as the show is making us, is forcing us to believe, or or is forcing us to make a stance based on this theory or or this question and not really give us any way to lean towards, although you do think it's leaning towards people don't change. I think it's leaning towards people don't change, and I think that that is interesting because if people don't change, then that means Cole 
no matter how depressing he gets, Mm -hmm. no matter how much he seems to have changed because of the, because of the death of his daughter and the uh, breakup of his marriage, no matter how much he seems to have changed or we think he might've changed, he really hasn't, Mm -hmm. which, which would suggest that maybe to a certain extent, everything we think we know about Cole and his personality and his worldview, maybe it is all a front. Maybe he wants to believe all these depressing things. Maybe he's read the book so he can sound like he believes all these depressing things. Deep down, though, does he really? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the maybe the, the old Cole is still in there somewhere. Or was he like this from the very beginning? That's, that's the question. And honestly, this is why I love this episode so much, even more so than last week's, is because it not only pushed the story forward, it made us question so many things, and not in things that I feel are very manipulative and in ways that I think are very thought provoking that relate to uh, the way that people live out their lives. I mean, not to, I'm not trying to sound pretentious or anything, but honestly, the show has done a great job of making us question certain things and not giving us the answers. And some people would say that's a cop out and that they're using ambiguity in a very cheap way. I don't think so because I feel like they're going to answer most of these questions. But even from the very beginning, I mean, I didn't bring this brought this up yet. And I'm sorry if I'm switching into the completely different topic when you still wanted to explore stuff, Andrew. But uh, where's Ginger? Oh, he's tied up in a ditch. What does that mean? Does that mean he's dead? Does that mean he's tied up in a ditch and he's alive? Because I don't think that Cole would want to uh, let him just go talk to the cops and reveal everything. He's undercover. That's another reason that I failed to bring up, actually, earlier about why I think Cole could be the killer is because he was just like, oh, he's in a ditch and Hart's just acting stupid. Like, oh, okay. When did he say that? I totally missed that line. It's in the beginning of the episode. Remember, they bring Ginger into meet the guy that they end up shooting and uh or that cole ends up shooting and also another thing he had some sort of explosive device attached to him because he blew up that i was a little confused by i mean it was awesome but i was kind of like oh yeah the guy from the bar yeah Yeah. well they go to the bar and then he says you have a shadow over you son i don't like the way you talk to me i your face makes me want to do bad things he was very unsettled by him well right but and but then ginger's in the car tied up tied up gagged and then duct taped and then there's a scene they're like he's it's like Cole's crossing the street when Hart asks it and it's more and it, where's Ginger tied up in a ditch and I was like what does that mean <laughs> like oh yeah 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 you're I totally forgot about that it's yeah. very but that's I, what I liked about it is that they slipped it under there because I didn't really pay attention to it that much the first time I watched it. and the second time I was like wait that could mean a whole lot of things I didn't think it could mean originally <laughs> see I just took it as Ginger's tied up. He's either in the car or he's somewhere where he can't run away. That's all I took it as. It, that could be it, too. Maybe I'm overanalyzing it, but tied up in a ditch, that's a pretty... When I think ditch, I think, like, especially with someone in Ginger's condition, I think tied up and, like, shot against the head and buried, but... <laughs> yeah. You know, like, maybe he's still with them. I, I don't know, but that was... It, it, you know, if they don't follow up with that, does is that a fault to the show? Because I'm adding that as a compliment and in a way that gave me the chills and I admire it for its ambiguity, but if we never find out what happens to Ginger, is that the sort of stuff that you feel like will be... you'll be critical towards uh, toward, with looking back on the show? See, honestly, I really don't. And maybe that's just because I like the show 
Me too. And I, <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's really well written. You know, if this was the eighth season of Dexter <laughs> and something like that happened, I think we'd be complaining about it like, hey, what happened to Ginger? But you know, beca- <laughs> yeah, because exactly. the show is actually good. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> it actually tells its story in a plausible way that respects us as a commentator and viewer as opposed to right. something they can whip around and just uh, try and dupe us into. Yeah. Right, like, like I'm willing to suspend my disbelief and just assume, oh, Cole worked things out with Ginger, and they went their separate ways. <laughs> but that's that's a lot of trust. I mean, don't get me wrong. Maybe either that or Ginger's in jail or something. He was pretty freaked out, and I would have liked to have seen if they never bring him up again. At least how Cole is able to manipulate him into staying quiet, because that's a pretty big silence you have to take. <laughs> For uh, a bunch of history that we haven't seen, for that matter, too. That is a good point. I had not considered that. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe I should think about that a little further <laughs> and not just give it a pass. Hmm. I mean, it could just be nothing. I could be, you know, just harping on this one detail that might not mean anything at all. But <laughs> hey, it's 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 a good thought. Uh, so if you're listening and you have thoughts on Ginger and what happened to him or whether or not it matters if we know what happened to him, write in and, and let us know, because that is an interesting point. Also, Huel and Breaking Bad, we'd like any insight on that as well. No, not necessary. I'm fully <laughs> willing and happy to believe that Huel is still there to this very day. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, is there anything else you would like to say about this episode, Charlie? I'm sure there's a ton of things that I didn't even get to talk about yet that I would I probably like I took crazy amounts of notes for this episode, Andrew, and in even two viewings, I feel like my mind is just swimming with theories and ideas, but in a good way where I feel even more involved with the show than I had ever before, because now I'm thinking about the show in so many ways that I didn't even think were possible a couple episodes ago. So I, I feel like this is an episode that leaves a lot hanging but in the most thought-provoking and intellectually stimulating way. Oh, oh, one one more thing I forgot to mention. Uh, we've brought it before on the show, and listeners have, have written in about how there's frequent references to Carcosa and the Yellow King, and, and these are literary references, and I'm not going to get into it a whole bunch uh, this in, in this discussion. Honestly, there are plenty of really great articles out there on the internet about True Detective and how it connects to the writings about Carcosa and the Yellow King and Ligotti and all of that. So, so go go do your research. It's pretty interesting stuff. But Patton Oswalt, Charlie, the comedian, on Twitter actually pointed out that there is a shot in this episode of the, I believe it's Cole in his truck driving, and behind him in the background is a giant crown, and it looks like the the sign for like a restaurant, like a Burger King or something, which is a giant crown. And the the looming yellow crown is a reference, is his literary reference. I missed that completely, and I'm watched the episode twice, so I can't believe I missed that completely. I, uh, I'm telling you, Charlie, the people that are into the show 
they are into it, and they notice all the little details. And I'm glad we have such devoted listeners that will do the research and write in with all these little hints and little cool observations. Yeah, because I think I'm, like, smart by picking up, like, oh, what happened to Ginger? But, like, something like that is far more metaphorical and allegorically significant if that is what the show is trying to say, so... Oh, yeah. What about the lawyer who called from the phone? I guess that's a killer. I guess we're supposed to believe that there's someone else out there, someone else who's involved, who convinced that guy, and I'm sorry, I can't remember his name, to kill himself. That was, like, in the last 15 minutes or so, and that came out of nowhere, too, and... Well, see, that's why I'm telling you, Charlie, I think Cole is not the killer. I think he's legitimately on the case still. And, if again, if we're taking... What we see in the flashbacks at face value, and and we're taking what the creators are showing us as reality, which I think we're supposed to, I have no reason to believe that Cole is the killer because he's out there looking for clues, trying to continue the investigation, and I really do think that, that even 17 years later, it still bugs him, and I think he still is trying to find out who it is. I don't think that Cole is the killer either, but I will say in terms of the show, even if it is manipulating me as a red herring, this is a really effective, fun red herring, which I think are so rare these days because it's not like, it's if I'm like balancing on a fence as to whether or not Cole is the killer, I would like, you know, be able to jump over the fence and say, no, he's not. But like, there's another part of me that feels like my foot is still like balancing and just kind of leaning towards that direction. But why, Charlie, if he's the killer, why is he bothering to follow up after? I mean, that's a good guys? point. Like, it's not Reggie. Like, he should be doing, if he's the killer, he should be doing everything he can to be like, yep, it was Reggie. It wasn't me. It was Reggie. You know, no, I, I agree with you, Andrew. I agree with these points. I'm just saying that these things that they're using to make him seem like the killer to us in a red herring format are effective and I don't feel like they're manipulative or completely out of thin air or just, I don't think they're going to end up being useless. And I think that the show's doing a good job of trying to fool me, or at least I'm saying at this point, I think it's trying to fool me. See, again, Charlie, I don't think the show's trying to fool you. I think the show is trying to fool its own characters. And I think we're supposed to know that. It's a good point. All I'm saying is whatever he ends up being, uh, they've done a good job of keeping him mysterious and compelling and credible no matter what his role in the mystery is, let alone the show as a whole. So that's my point. All right. Well, let's move on to some emails. Uh, We got an email from uh, our good friend of the show, Tony in Colorado. She writes, quote, uh, she, she listed several points for an argument she's trying to make, and I think her argument will become clear, Charlie. She says, quote, one, Hart's oldest daughter has seen something, the way she had the Barbie surrounded by Ken dolls laying naked, the dirty pictures, then later getting caught with the two young men and acting out sexually. Something happened to her. Two, I think there is some kind of cult in this town, and there is more than one killer. Reggie Ledeau was a perfect fall guy. He was easy to blame for the murder because he was such a scumbag and he could have been a member of this cult. He dies, Hart and Cole become heroes, case closed. But when that guy in jail tells Cole that the Yellow King is still alive and the cult, whoever they are, finds out that he has been investigating this closed case secretly, well, they try to get rid of him by accusing him of being a killer. 3. Who calls the prison? Someone who knows Cole is questioning the guy and that Cole is amazing at getting people to confess. Four, 
Hart knows what Cole can do in the interrogation room. Five, now so far Hart, to me, isn't a very good cop. He really offered almost nothing to the case against Reggie Ledeau. Really, he just seems to be this distracted guy who likes to fuck around on his wife, and he isn't a very engaged father. My point is, he can't be this useless. His kid, how he deals with the women in his life, and how he offered no help to the investigation except helping Cole find Ledeau, has to be a clue. Six. Hart is blonde. They're looking for the Yellow King. <laughs> hmm. Charlie, I, I, I'm getting the impression Tony seems to be suggesting here that Hart is actually the killer. Hart knows what Cole is up to. He knows that Cole is great at getting people to confess. So Hart is trying to pin it all on Cole before the truth comes out. Uh, this is like, I mean, that's what I kind of love about the show is that there are so many clues that could support anybody being the killer at this point. This argument, I think it's a pretty good argument. Yeah. And I find this argument far more credible than the idea that Cole is the killer. But like I said earlier, because <laughs> of that shot of Hart seeing the kid and opening the gate and him looking surprised, I can't believe it. I think we're going to have to start something on Twitter where we do hashtag Team Cole and hashtag Team Hart because... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but if is Team Cole, does that mean we think he's the killer or does that mean we think he's innocent? Oh, that's a good Team question. <laughs> I think we should discuss those rules. Um, Team Cole, I assume, means Team uh, Cole is innocent, I guess. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, I'm just kidding. But uh, yeah, like I, I think... I think it's interesting how like you know just through these clues that's very convincing it's complicated i also wanted to bring up one thing real quick i talked to uh, a friend of mine who is also a, a film critic here in boston and he stated that he was upset to watch it in this format because he feels like this show is more like an eight hour movie and he feels like he would be able to keep a lot of this stuff together and then it would be more effective as an eight-hour film. Now, I can't sit through an eight-hour film in one sitting without going to the bathroom a few times, I'll admit, but I, you know, like, I think that it works as a big, long miniseries, but he was suggesting it might play out better for some, uh, for people who, uh, get to watch all eight episodes in one sitting who get a day off from work or something. I was wondering what you thought of that, because I have no problem watching it week to week, but I will admit that sometimes certain clues and certain events get a little blurrier to me as a week goes by, but at the same time, I think that there's no way that this story could have been told as effectively if they didn't use it eight hours, so... I I'm glad you brought that up, Charlie. Uh, I meant to talk about pacing a little bit in our main discussion. Um, first of all, I agree with you. I think sometimes... For, for people like me who usually don't have time to watch the episode more than once, it can be a bit confusing to keep track of who everyone is and, oh, these are all the victims, mm -hmm. these are all the officials who could be involved, here are, are all the suspects. I had that problem with uh, Game of Thrones a few times, actually, where if I watched it uh, weekly, uh, I would forget certain characters' names or certain events, but not, never with this show, but I totally, it's happened to me before, for sure. The thing about the show, Charlie, I, I think it's very well paced. I think it's going to reward repeat viewings because it's it's complicated enough that you could use it's a challenge sometimes to keep all the details straight, but not so complicated that you can at least get the overall thrust of the narrative, mm -hmm. which is good. So I think it's gonna reward multiple viewings. 
and I think eight episodes was probably perfect. Yeah, because 12 might have been too much of a stretch in order to just feel like a normal season of dramatic television in terms of uh, formatting and in terms of an hour-long dramatic program. Well, it's very deliberately paced, Charlie. I agree. And it's it's much slower paced than a lot of shows. Actually, Charlie, my parents watch this show. Mine do too, actually. <laughs> I, th- I think my dad falls asleep most of the time. Really? It is very slow compared to some other uh, to a lot to most other television shows. I feel like you know it's it doesn't have the type of explosive action and like edge of your seat type type of suspense that other shows have. It's it's don't get me wrong, it's compelling and I'm totally invested in it, Charlie. But it is very deliberately paced. I think if it was nine episodes or ten episodes, I think we'd feel it. I think it would be too slow. I think I would start to get irritated. I think eight episodes is just right for this type of deliberate pace. I can't say whether I agree with you or not, since we haven't gotten eight episodes in, and maybe this was a little premature of me, but maybe we should reflect upon this topic when we are at the end and say, was this paced enough? Do you think another hour or so would have uh, made it too long? At the same time, I'm someone who watches pretty slow-paced shows, so it's not bothering me. I keep forgetting that this show can be considered slow, probably because I watch shows that have a similar pace, such as Mad Men and In Treatment, which are more about the quieter moments and the character moments as opposed to the big explosive. Well, okay, In in Treatment is like 22 minutes per episode. It's little bite-sized chunks. Yeah, but there's still twice as much of that in a season of... Te- a full season of treatment is basically twice the length of a normal 12-hour long episode season. Okay, that's true. That's that's fair. I know because I've just gone through it, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm saying in terms of week to week, I think it's easier to consume in treatment because the episodes are, are so tight. Oh, I won't disagree with you there. I mean, I love in treatment and i can't stop watching it right now so i'm just saying that compared to like you know when treatment's a show about a therapist talking to one other character for 22 minutes and they don't leave the room and it's all about it's all dialogue based whereas that's what i'm kind of saying is like if i'm watching a show about a crime and there's only one shootout or like a few you know gunshots fired per second or it's more character driven and dialogue driven then i don't feel like it's that slow because I like shows like this and I'm biased towards that in some ways. So that's why I don't feel this show is too slow, but I can understand why other people would find it slow paced. It's just something that I forget based on my viewing habits. So, all right, well, moving on to our next email, uh, our, our, our devoted listener Floyd wrote in and he writes, quote, okay, I'm going on the record with a prediction. Tuttle and Thoreau are heavily involved in the murders Thoreau said he attended a school Tuttle ran. Uh, the shutdown school that Rianne Oliver went to was also run by Tuttle's organization. Interestingly, just as Cole was questioning the guy cutting the grass at the school and looking into it, he's called away for what? To investigate Ledeau, which in reality just ends up being a distraction. I predict they arrest Ledeau and put the murder to bed for the 17 years, but with the newest murder, it is reopened, which is the reason they're being interviewed in 2012. And at the end of it all, it's some sort of religious cult run by Tuttle. I think Tuttle's involved, and either Cole kills him or he kills himself, just like the guy Cole interrogated did when Cole got too close. I also think Cole is totally consumed by the case, 
and that's why he is who he is now. I think all he does is work the case, and that's all he's done for the past 10 years or so. What do you think about that, Charlie? That's, that's two listeners now that have emailed it and said they think there's a cult behind it. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, uh, that would make a lot of sense. And, you know, uh, I'm kind of, oddly enough, I, I'm kind of drawn to cult movies because I feel like that possibility of getting involved in a cult or like, you know, like I just find cults to be fascinating because they are very persuasive in a very disturbing way. I mean, uh, Martha Marcy May Marlene is a film about a cult that I found to be completely believable and could actually exist. Um, you know, uh, Sound of My Voice. Uh, there have been a ton of uh, cult films that have been able to not only make it, uh, and shows, I'm sure, that have been able to make it not just um, fascinating to understand how a cult lives and functions, but also make it persuasive and uh, empathetic as to why someone would want to join this cult for whatever religious or intellectual reason. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, there's been nothing mentioned about a cult right now that I can just hop on board and be like, oh, it must be this particular cult with this particular purpose. But I wouldn't be surprised if they end up discovering a cult that would fit into the description of the murders. Yeah, I'm starting to think there might be some sort of cult or larger organization behind the killings as well. And just just listening to you talk about cults, Charlie, I, I was thinking, okay, the reason cults are interesting, Charlie is because, yeah, they're kind of creepy and sinister, but they play on the same impulses that other more acceptable institutions play on all the time. Yeah, like they're basically attracting people who are misfits or outcasts, and they're basically playing off similar tropes of other religions or lifestyles or whatever. Well, well, and right. I mean, people they, people want to feel like they belong to something. They want to feel like they're part of a yeah. group. I mean, people they want to fit in. With, yeah, yeah, they want to fit in. They 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 have certain desires and passions they want to carry out. They identify with certain religions. They identify with certain political parties. Mm-hmm. Which you could argue. I, I mean, I'm not going to make that argument, but I think someone could argue. Someone smarter than me could probably argue that what is a political party or a church or a religion, if not just a larger, more socially acceptable cult. Yeah, I mean, not to go back to Martha Marcy May Marlene, but they showed us a character who so much was a kind character that wanted to fit in somewhere in some form of society or life and ended up manipulating herself into believing that these things are proper because she wanted to fit in and this was a more applicable way to fit into a form of society than the one that is surrounding her so you know maybe they will introduce some sort of cults or that or religious or cult or you know cults that worship something or is of some particular faith that will have a disturbing impact on you know the town or i don't know you know like it's hard for me to just say what this you know it's hard for me to predict anything about a cult because we don't really have any information about what kind of cult would want to do this sort of murder or do this sort of thing and at the same time I wouldn't put it past the possibility of a cult emerging later on down in the story. So, well, a cult has been mentioned in the show, Charlie. And oh, it has. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, and we got one last email from Jim, who who writes in and says, uh, in an earlier episode, they talk about a cult where uh, rich men worship the devil, possibly Maggie's father. That is 
interesting. That explains where Hart's kids' weird behavior comes from. They possibly watched their grandpa perform the ritual. Uh, the governor's cousin is probably involved as well, and maybe the leader of the cult. Oh. So, yeah, that's that's Jim's theory that there's a cult and Maggie's father and the governor's cousin, I think he's, he's referring to Tuttle, they're all involved. That would be such a clusterfuck if Maggie ended up being like, I'm the cult leader's daughter. <laughs> like, that would honestly have me being like, what is going on in this show? I feel like it's an interesting theory, and I feel like if that, those characters come back and they're developed, that would be fascinating. But if they plan on bringing them back with no development whatsoever, I think that's a bit like a, haha, we threw this one minor detail at this one character at you, and you didn't pick it up, aren't we so smart? And it almost feels kind of cheap, because they didn't really give us much of a chance, and they're kind of misleading us down so many other directions. That's another thing I wanted to bring up, Andrew, like... I'm saying I love this show because it's making me think about all these things, but if none of what I'm thinking about happens to come into play with how the conclusion of this plot uh, plays out, do you think that's cheap? Do you think that if they let us down a trail where they're focusing on certain things and getting us to think about certain things, technically they could argue we're not trying to get you to focus on certain things, you just happen to see it that way, but in the way that I, I think that's incorrect because I think that the show has focused very explicitly in terms of like the shots and the music and the dialogue on focus on this and if they basically have distracted us from something major by making us completely go down a different direction even if it develops their characters and brings up all these other themes that don't happen to play in but they explore anyway do you think that's like cheap i know i just threw like a huge snowball full of like multiple multiple questions at you so i'm sorry well I I mean, we've talked about that before, Charlie. We, we, I think we brought that up a few weeks ago, that idea of how much of this philosophical mumbo-jumbo that Cole is dishing out every episode, how much of that is relevant, and if it ultimately doesn't play into the the murder and how things wrap up, is it necessary? Mm -hmm. And will it, will it still be satisfying? I think a lot of it may feel manipulative, but honestly, Charlie, I think it's going to matter. I, the, the show. Oh, I do too. I'm just hoping that it does. Like, based on what we've seen so far, I get the feeling that Nick Pizzolatto really knows what he's doing. He's really thought this out. I feel like every element serves a purpose. I do not think he would be including all of this unless it really mattered, either in terms of the plot or the characters or the themes and the overall thing he's trying to say. I really do think it's going to end up being important. What if it just ends like 2001 A Space Odyssey, where the last episode is just a bunch of colors and images and like just gives you this bizarre ending that doesn't give you any straightforward answer? <laughs> <laughs> Cole, yeah, the last episode was just Cole totally hallucinating yeah or it's like a david lynch movie and it's just like the last episode everyone has a different name and they're not even in the south they're in los angeles now and uh we'll just throw in all these characters that you've never seen before uh that don't make sense and no i'm kidding i love david lynch movies Mulholland drives like my favorite movie but that would be kind of awesome if like david lynch just took over and then it's like all that stuff that we led you to believe, it now has an entirely different meaning. No, Charlie. It's going to end with the murder of Laura Palmer. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Twin Peaks prequel, Charlie. Oh, well, well, 
I, I, it seems like most of our listeners, Charlie, or a lot of them certainly, seem to think that there is a cult involved. I honestly think that's the most compelling theory out there right now. Uh, even Cole, you know, once that guy kills himself, he starts questioning, okay, let's let's figure out what's going on with the police officers who are there. Are they trying to cover it up? Can we really trust the task force? Who else is in on this if there's someone? Well, that's another reason why I brought up the cops at the beginning is could the task force be on this? Is that them saying, hey, the people who are interviewing them might be in on this? I don't know. Right. Yeah, that's a good question, Charlie. So is Cole just being paranoid or could there actually be some sort of shadowy cult out there that has infiltrated every aspect of the local government and is secretly manipulating everything? Even if uh, even if it is making just making Cole paranoid, it's doing a good job of putting us in his shoes by making us paranoid, or at least it's doing that with me. I'll speak for myself. So yeah, it's getting to the point where I'm like almost like in a state of confusion, where I'm just like it could go anywhere. I don't know, but it will make sense. Like <laughs> like there, there's a there's a reasonable explanation for everything on this show. Apparently, like it's definitely made the uh, plot of the show the messiest, and yet it's made it the most compelling and most gripping in terms of sucking me into this mystery and getting me to think about what is really going on here. I agree. I agree. And I think that that's a good place to, to, to wrap things up on. Uh, we'd love to get your feedback on the show. Don't forget, you can call us at 336-793-2509 and leave us a voicemail. Uh, you can also leave us a voicemail through the website as well. Uh, you can email us at detectthis at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you liked this episode, please write us a review. That helps us get the word out about the program, and we really, really appreciate all the support. Uh, You can also donate to us through the website. Uh, We have several partners and affiliates, uh, including Amazon. And if you use our website to get to Amazon, we will get a small percentage of whatever you purchase. So if you want to go ahead and pre-order True Detective Season 1 on DVD, or you want to you know, buy something else, Make sure you use filmgeekradio.com to get to Amazon, and uh, you can help us out at the same time, and we really appreciate that. And don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including Cinema Fix, The Thin Place, and our podcast all about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast. Oh, well, Charlie, where can people find you online? You can find uh, discussions that me and Andrew have had about the eighth and final season of Dexter under the Avenging Angels section of FilmGeekRadio.com, as well as discussions on the third season of Homeland under the Briefing Room section of FilmGeekRadio.com. You can also find articles that I've written for Edge Boston on EdgeBoston.com, as well as Movie Mezzanine on MovieMezzanine.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter at CTNash91. That's C-T-N-A-S-H-91. You can find some of my writing at moviemezzanine.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at writerandrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message so we can keep talking about True Detective. That'll wrap it up for this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Charlie Nash. And I don't want to know anything anymore. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!